Hey, what's up, guys? This is Ricky V, and you're listening to episode number 52 of the Elite Fitness Podcast. And in this one, we have a couple of rehash shows that I'd like you guys to uh, check out. The first one is about albuterol sulfate and how that can put you in a coma if you're not careful. The second one is about dieting, burn meats, cooking, and some other cool topics. And without further ado, here's the show. Hey, what's up, guys? Evolution at Wars podcast coming your way. Steve Smee, as always. I'm with Rick. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, Steve? What's up, guys? How's everybody doing out there? All right, guys. So we have five really, really fun topics. Let's get into it, first of all. The first one we're going to get into is a question we get a lot. And, um, you know, hopefully we can kind of give you guys some guidance on this. This guy says, my friend said short esters are better than long esters. True or bro science? So let's first talk about, you know, what does that mean? Short ester is long ester. A short ester would simply mean a steroid um, that's a short half-life, like, like a propionate, for example, has a short half, half-life. Phenylpropionate has a shorter half-life. Then you have anethacypinate. Those are longer esters. Undeclinate, decanate, those, those are longer esters. So Basically, the difference would be with the shorter esters, um, if you're using an injectable, you would, you would have to inject it more frequently. So like propionate, you want to inject every day, every other day. And then sepinate and the, the longer esters, decanate, those you can inject twice a week or once a week or once every 10 days, depending on which one it is. So, you know, is it better to inject more often something with a short half-life that is, you know, in kind of builds up in your system and peaks at a quicker, uh, quick, quick, more quicker and is out of your system quicker. Does it really make a difference? So let's dive into this uh, first. Let me kind of like give me my opinion on this. It really depends on your situation. Like I'll give you an example. If you want to run like an eight week cycle, it really is advantageous to run a short ester because what happens is you're going to run it it's going to, even though it's going to be working right away, it's, it's going to peak a lot quicker. So you'll get peak levels of concentration in your blood within two, three weeks. If you're running a long ester, it's going to take five or six weeks. So if you're only running eight weeks, it makes more sense to run a short ester because it's in, in your body quicker peaking. And then once you stop, it's out of your body quicker. So you can start recovering quicker. A long ester you want to run it maybe 10, 12 weeks. Some guys even go 14 or 16 weeks. And then when you come off of it, it still lingers in your system because it takes a longer time to get out. So, I mean, you're talking weeks after your last injection, it's still in your system. So in that case, it's going to take you longer to recover because you're running a much longer cycle. We'll, we'll get into the recovery aspect a little bit later. So that's, you know, that's my opinion on that. Um, it, you know, depending on how long you're running it, Rick, what kind of direction you want to take on this question to help this guy out? When it comes to the ester, uh, yeah, the shorter esters are nice. Uh, they have some good parts to them. They have some drawbacks. The good parts that I like about the shorter ester is that you get more steroid for your milligrams, right? I, we've discussed this in the podcast before, propionate, acetate, you know, 100 milligrams of acetate, 100 milligrams of propionate is going to have more active anabolic hormone than if you had the same 100 megs of anatinate because the shorter ester weighs less and it comprises a smaller percentage of that total weight. So you get more active steroid. That's good. Also, the shorter ester just starts to work quicker. 
You know, anybody that's used Trembolone um, and acted with the longer ester or Trembolone acetate knows the difference. Same thing with testosterone propionate. Same, um, same situation. You notice the stuff working a lot quicker. So those are the two good things. It works a lot quicker. It's almost like you, you don't even need a kickstart. It works so fast. And also, you get more active hormone per weight. Now, the drawbacks to the shorter esters are just the injection volume. You know, you have to inject them quite often. And those injections tend to hurt quite a bit. So the shorter esters, you have to inject way more often, sometimes every other day if you really want to, sometimes every day if you really want to get a steady levels. And that can lead you to get burnout from your injections. You know, once you're on a, on a long cycle and you're pinning every day, every other day, it begins to be a bit much. And you'll know when you're getting burnout from the injections because you, you have this reaction, like the sensation just touching the needle to your skin. And it's funny because the first time I did propionate, I actually looked forward to the shots. I enjoyed the shots. But then after about four weeks on this prop cycle, I was just like, damn, another shot. Damn, another shot. I got burnt out on them. And also, you're going to find that the shorter esters are going to give you more injection pain than the longer esters. You know, those shorter esters, they don't want to suspend in that oil, in that carrier, as much as the longer esters do. So... They're going to burn out. They're going to burn you a little bit more. Even at the depot, as they get absorbed, they're more um, of a crystalline type of structure than what you get with a, with a very kind of fatty type structure when you have those long esters in there. So it, it definitely hurts more the injection depot. So that's, that's what I would say the, the two drawbacks to it are, are just the injection frequency, which will burn you out. You might have fun at first pinning, but it'll burn you out. And the, the pain, you know, the pain is unlike the longer esters for sure. At the end of the day, guys, I personally hate the shorter esters. I'm, I'm all for the longer esters. I don't care about, you know, the disadvantages. For me, I hate injecting. I hate the pain of injecting. It just, it's, I'm sick and tired of it. So I always go with the longer esters. All things being equal, guys, over the long term, it will not matter if you shoot short or long esters. It's just a personal preference thing. And if your friend said, wow, short esters gave me much better results than long esters, I would say he was probably just using better quality gear when he used a short ester. That's, that's, I've seen that. I've experienced that personally. So even the same compound, two different brands manufactured in two different countries, whatnot. I mean, it's going to give you, you'll like one more than the other. That's just how it is. So um, I don't think it really um, is going to make a difference long-term in your, uh, you know, in your fitness uh, endeavors. I'll put it that way. All right, guys. So the next question is prostate. This is a topic that we don't talk enough about as men because the prostate is something, obviously it's something personal. Nobody likes to go around talking about their prostate with, with other people in the gym very often, but I will say I'm kind of surprised at some of the, some of the conversations people have, you know, regarding their health, but the prostate's very important guys, because it's one of those things like we can't see, like you can look in the mirror and flex and see your big bicep and be like, wow, my bicep's improving. My bicep's getting bigger, but your, your prostate, you're not really going to be able to know if your prostate's getting enlarged or being inflamed or whatnot. Some of the side effects though, if you are having a large prostate, it's going to be urinary issues. Maybe we go to pee and you're pushing and you're pushing and it's, you can't pee. You have problems. Uh, how you pee, like the, the quickness of, of getting it over, of urinating. 
Um, it could be, it could affect you in the bedroom, it can affect your performance in the bedroom, it can, it can affect, you know, how you perform, uh, how long you perform, all that stuff. So if you notice anything kind of screwy going on, then you really should be aware of that. And I'll, I'll say this, guys, this is kind of scary. I read something where if you're over the age of 50, you already have a million cancer cells in your prostate. So if you have an enlarged prostate from, from abusing anabolic steroids, those cancer cells can, can explode on you. So you want to keep that in mind. So, you know, why do we get enlarged prostates on anabolic steroids? It's very simple, guys. It's the, it's the conversion of the hormones to dihydrotestosterone, DHT, and that affects your prostate, and that will cause your prostate to enlarge. Um, so it's very important, guys, not to abuse steroids. That's that's what I'm going to tell you. I'm curious, Rick, um, you're the sep- supplement guru. Is there any supplements out there that you think will help with the prostate? What are your thoughts on the whole prostate thing? Yeah, there are a lot of natural ingredients that help with the prostate. One that's really interesting, and uh, I don't have it in any, any of my products yet, but I'm, I'm researching it for a uh, prostate product that I'm working on. It's lycopene. Lycopene is a really nice product. It comes from uh, tomatoes, actually. And, and you know, one thing, uh, funny enough, uh, you get more lycopene if the tomato's cooked than you do if you eat it raw. So that's just something to note. But uh, lycopene is, is nice. And the thing about lycopene is, for example, you have those tiny little cancer cells, say, in your prostate. And they may never go anywhere. You know, they might be there for life, and you'll never, it'll never develop into anything because they don't have steady blood supply. Those cancer cells... They just don't have good supply. They're not normal cells. They're not good cells. So they just don't have a, a, good, a good blood supply. But if they get the blood supply, if they get it, they're going to just grow out of proportion. So there are certain chemicals that your cell uses to basically uh, call, I guess is the best way to say it, to basically call blood vessels into growing in its direction. You know, there are chemicals that your healthy cells can release to have blood vessels begin to, to grow and feed it. Now, cancerous cells tend to not have or be able to create that signal. And it seems that lycopene helps to actually block, block it even further, block those cancer cells from actually getting any, uh, any kind of blood supply or permanent blood supply lines you know, running up to it, which is basically, you know, so lycopene is a really nice one. Um, you know, maca, and uh, saw palmetto, those are actually good mentions as well. But if you're really uh, concerned about, about cancer uh, long-term, I think just making sure you add lycopene to your program, make sure you uh, enjoy cooked tomatoes, make sure you're, um, you know, th- those things can help just, the key part is keeping that blood supply from, from reaching those, those cancer cells. Because once one of them grabs on to a steady blood supply, it's going to grow out of proportion and, and it's on from there. I mean, you're going to have an issue. Yeah, guys, and one of the big red flags um, of prostate, major prostate issues, ejaculation pain. If you get like, a, and then burning when you, when you urinate, but that could also be like a UTI too, urinary tract infection. But um, you want to look for that too. If you're urinating, if the, if the urine is like dribbling out of you, obviously that's a red flag. But how do you test for prostate? The number one way to test guys is just go to the doctor. Um, once a year and have them do the finger test. And um, 
you know, I've had it done many times. It sucks. They stick a finger like up your ass and I absolutely hate it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like five seconds of hell getting a finger up your ass. But that's the, that's how they can actually see, they can tell if something's abnormal by doing that. And um, if it is, the doctor may order additional tests, but um, if they do decide to put you on a drug to kind of get the prostate smaller, you must work with your doctor as well by stopping anabolic steroids. You must like, don't be like, yeah, I'm just going to take the drug the doctor is giving me and then keep abusing steroids because that absolutely makes no sense. And you're never going to get that prostate back to where it is. Don't fuck, don't fuck with that guys. Um, you can get prostate cancer very young. It's not one of those cancers that you don't have to worry about. I mean, we see people get prostate cancer who are much younger than, than other cancers. It's nothing to fuck with. So the finger up the ass, get it done guys. Don't, don't be um, one of those people who are like, I don't want to get the finger up the ass. I'd rather get cancer. So don't, don't fuck around with that. Rick, what about you? Uh, When was the last time you got the finger in the ass? About, yeah, about once a year, I get the test. Um, you know, funny enough, uh, never really had any kind of prostate sensitivity or issues doing juice. But since I started cycling, you know, mountain biking quite a bit, man, it's, it, it gets tender. If I won't cycle, I'll feel it. So it, it's one thing I have noticed now, and, and it's going to bring me back into full physical and the doctor, is that ever since I started bike riding, the bike riding with the juice, I have felt something a little bit, uh, a little bit tender and weird going on down there. And uh, I got a new seat, a uh, seat with a hole in the middle, so it doesn't put pressure on that area. But still, it, it, it's quite concerning, and you know, I'm going to follow it up for sure. But, I mean, look, you can have some benign enlargement that feels uncomfortable. You get some of the pee side effects, but it's nothing to really – Nothing to really worry about. So if you are feeling a little bit of sensitivity, don't, don't go crazy. Just take, you know, make the appointment, take your time. It could be just benign enlargement, benign tightness, which, which will tend to happen. You know, you'll, it, it can swell up and not be cancerous, just be something that's going on. So uh, it's something to keep an eye on it and be concerned about. Yeah, and a lot of people listening to this are like, wow, I never even knew this. I never knew anything about the prostate. You know, it's like in, in weightlifting and bodybuilding, we tend to just look in the mirror and see what we see. We don't think about what's going on inside of us. And that will come back and bite you as you get older. So next one, guys. And I think on this podcast, we've mentioned before androgen-dependent cancers. You know, cancer cells that will grow when there is an abundant supply of androgen, say male hormones, in the body of, you know, attaching to the receptors on those cells. And prostate is one of them. You know, prostate's probably the, the big one, the androgen-dependent cancer that, that you could develop from heavy levels, high levels of androgens that you might not otherwise develop if you weren't juicing. So it's something to, to note, something to be aware of. So next one, guys, is can I get away with less post-cycle therapy on a short oral cycle than long injectable? So let me just address what does post-cycle therapy mean? Post-cycle therapy is something that, you know, those of us who cycle steroids, we depend on because when you come off steroids, 
they start trickling out of your system, what happens is the hormones in your body start dropping. And since your own pituitary glands are not producing hormones, you will crash hard. And a post-cycle therapy is very important because a post-cycle therapy or PCT, as it's called, is your soft landing. That's what what you start using after you're done with your steroid cycle. And that will prevent that crash where you lose mood, you lose the motivation to work out, you lose strength, you lose muscle so rapidly. So we want to avoid that. We want a smooth landing. So that is why a post-cycle therapy PCT is so important. So is it true that you need a a shorter, um, a less of a PCT, I, I would say, when you're using a shorter, when you're doing a shorter cycle? And the answer is, is yes, you do. Um, let's say you're doing a six-week cycle, four-week cycle oral. I mean, it's in and out of your system quick. You can go on a, you can do kind of a mini PCT after that, like low-dose CIRM, and then run some N2 Generate. And that should, that, that'll be plenty for a PCT. But if you're running a long cycle, like 14 weeks, 16 weeks, then you need a much bigger PCT. I would be doubling up on your CIRMs. I would be using N2 Generate ES Extra Strength. You want to you wanna be very, very um, open to, to, to running your PCT much longer. I would even recommend an eight or 10-week PCT if you're running such a long cycle. But a short cycle with short esters or an oral, you could probably get away with just a four- or five-week PCT. So that's what I've noticed over the years with myself and with my clients when I, when I looked at blood work. So it does help. But also, you guys, you remember going into your cycle, were you already suppressed? Was your HPTA already struggling? That can make a difference in how you recover as well. Rick, what about you? What have you noticed over the years? What's your opinion on this? Yeah, shorter cycle, you tend to not get as suppressed and come back very quickly from it. I'm at a point now where I'm about to reach 40 and I'm either, if I'm juicing, I'm either juicing or I'm on PCT kind of year round at this point. And I juice very little, you know, I use very uh, small amounts now just to, just to maintain. But yeah, either that or I'm taking herbals, but I'm, you know, and I take about every year, about three months off total to just where I take nothing. Now, when it comes to these short oral cycles, if, you, if you're doing a short oral cycle about four or six weeks, yeah, I mean, you two, three, four week PCT, it's about all you need. And if you have a good, strong enough PCT, you'll even make some progress during your PCT, more progress uh, as you are coming off the steroids even. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. Short little turinable cycle, four to six weeks, turinable, four to six weeks, maybe winstrol cycle. You're going you're gonna to be able to get away with a very small PCT compared to doing, you know, the long esters and all this other stuff. You see, w- when you post-cycle therapy from an oral cycle, once you once the orals are out of you, which happens you know, within the first 24 hours, you're already recovering. You're taking the meds and you're starting to recover. When you take the longer esters, if you start your PCT, you know, two weeks after your last shot, the, the steroids are still in your system. So you're kind of taking your PCT meds, trying to recover against the steroids still in there, suppressing you somewhat. So even the first two weeks of PCT coming off of some long ester injectables, you're not fully recovering because stuff is still flowing through you where when you get those orals, they're out of you pretty quickly and you can get to the business of recovering your normal testicular functions after cycle. All right, guys. So our next topic 
is an interesting one. Is frying food and overcooking food bad for me? So let's, let's talk about what happens when you cook food. Now, what is the problem with, with people say, well, you know what, this chicken is this many calories. So if I bake it versus just frying it, it's the same calories. It's going to, it's the same macros, same amount of protein. It's going to go in my body. That's what a stupid person says. And we see people say that shit all the time. But in reality, how you prepare your food makes a huge difference because your body has a different reaction. So frying and overcooking and charring your food destroys all the bacteria, destroys all the nutrition. You're basically eating a dead food. Um, and we know that charring your food and frying, over frying foods is our carcinogenic. That's the first thing they tell people who have cancer, who walk into a cancer treatment center, is they tell them you have to, you cannot eat, um, be very careful when you barbecue food for food from now on, because if that food gets charred, then it's carcinogenic. You cannot be putting that in your body. So absolutely, guys, food prep and food preparation is so fucking important. And how you cook your food is so fucking important. I have unrefined organic coconut oil. And that's the key word there, unrefined coconut oil. That's what I cook with. If you cook with refined oils, any type of refined oil, it's the, the health benefits are just so much more less than cooking with unrefined coconut oil. It's absolutely the best thing. It's come from nature, natural. And that's what I cook with. I, that's why I prep my food. I never burn my food. I never overcook my food. A lot of people want to argue with me about microwaving food. They say, oh, microwaving food is not a bad thing, whatever. Look, if you have to microwave your food, that's fine. But keep in mind, again, microwaving your food destroys a lot of the nutrition. So you, again, you want to you try to eat as much live food as possible in your body. So when you're cooking meat, bake it very lightly, grill it very lightly, make sure you're, you're prepping, it, pepper, uh, prepping it correctly, the seasonings, the uh, unrefined coconut oil. That's what I recommend, guys. Um, you know, anything could be eggs. It can be anything you're cooking, uh, vegetables. If you're overcooking them, you're destroying the nutrition in those foods and it will, it will make a difference. That's my opinion, guys. I mean, a lot of people want to disagree with that and that's fine because they think like, wow, these vegetables are this many macros. This chicken is this many macros. This beef is this many macros. It's the same thing, whether you fry it in hydrogen oil or you, you cook it the way I'm telling you to cook it. It's the same macros. That's what, that's what they'll tell you. But your body is a different reaction. And how do you feel when you go to a Chinese restaurant and you eat fried food, you know, and their oil? How do you feel afterwards? Do you feel like shit? You're probably having diarrhea when you get home. So that's all stressed out on your body, guys. Your body can, can't handle all that stress all the time. So food for thought, guys. Think about it. What's your opinion on this, Rick? Uh, yeah, overcooking food is, is no good, not only just for mouthfeel, but yeah, having charred uh, meat enter your body and, and go through your digestive system is not definitely not going to help you. Now, just to clarify something Steve said, there's a lot of good life foods out there you, that you can have that have very good probiotics that are going to help your gut health, like sauerkraut, pickles, kombucha, certain types of yogurt. There's good stuff out there that has good life cultures. Uh, definitely, we don't mean like you don't want the bacteria that's on dead meat. You, that's why we cook the shit out of it because 
uh, that bacteria will kill you. But there's good bacteria, good live foods that you can, that you can have. Now, you don't need to overcook your meat. Uh, pretty much pork or chicken, it's either done or it's, or it's not. When it comes to certain types of fish and red meat, definitely you can play with how cooked you want it or not. But you definitely don't want to, you don't want to eat charred stuff, man. If that stuff going through your, through your system is, is not, not good, it's no bueno. So making sure to just cook your foods lightly, enough to kill the bad bacteria, but uh, not, and not enough to, to create, you know, little pieces of, of charred meat that you're going to then ingest. It's just not a good, not a good look. The little bit of uh, grill lines on, on chicken breast or on a, or on a steak, you know, neither here or there. It's just very small amount. But when you have like the edges charred up, when you have a food, when you have meat that's black from being cooked, stay away. Stay away from, from meat that, that's turned black from being cooked. There's got black spots on it from overcooking. That's just not going to be good for you at all. Guys, at NNA, fast food, mall food, restaurant food, okay, it's not good for you. Um, they do overcook their foods, and that's, that's, not, that's not just the reason why. But the reason they overcook their foods is because they're trying to get rid of the bacteria on purpose because they don't want you to get sick from it, like Rick was saying. But, I mean, that's not a good thing. So, you know, if you ever go to a restaurant or fast food place and you just go into the kitchen and watch how they're preparing the food, it's so unsanitary. That's why they have to overcook it on purpose because it's so fucking unsanitary back there. There's roaches crawling around. There's rats. There's droppings of, of all kinds of bugs and stuff. So I prefer, you know, to cook. I, I'm the best cook, okay? There's no cook out there who can cook better than me. I'm, I'm my own cook. I can prep my own food. I can cook my own food. I don't need someone else. I don't need to pay someone else to cook my own food. So I prefer to do it, guys. But guys, it's so simple. Just go to the store, go to the health food store, buy a whole jar of unrefined coconut oil. It's like 10 bucks and that will last you two or three months, okay? You don't even need to use that much of it when you cook. And you can cook whatever you want. Just don't overcook, guys. Baking, a little bit of sauteing in a pan is okay, um, you know, those, those are really good options, uh, to cooking your food, but don't, don't overcook it guys. One good way to cook consistently and not overcook your food. And it's really good, clean, easy, trouble-free way to cook is get an air fryer. You can get an air fryer on the market for a couple hundred bucks. And it's been for me, probably my most used cooking piece of equipment that I use. Now the air fryer is just incredible. You just throw, toss the food in there set the timer it will dry your food before it ever chars it so it's very very hard for you to char your food on an air fryer and if it's getting a little bit dry you can coat it with a little bit of coconut oil whatever you're cooking in there you could put everything from a piece of red meat to a piece of chicken to to a you know to a sweet potato to a full potato to you can put anything in there and if you're afraid, and if you want to get a nice little crisp on the outside of whatever you're, you're throwing in there, just coat it with a little bit of coconut oil before you put it in the air fryer. And man, that machine is magical. It's probably my favorite piece of kitchen equipment. And I make everything in that thing. You know, you can throw white button mushrooms in there with some, with some cherry tomatoes, just 10 minutes on, on high. And man, that's, it, they come out perfect. So, um, that's probably my, my most beloved piece of cooking equipment that I've 
gotten in the last couple of years. Another thing too, guys, is a crock pot. For those of you who you just want to prepare your stuff, throw it in there that morning, set it, then go to work. And then when you get home, you'll have, you'll have a dinner just sitting for you. And, uh, that's, that's another option as well. So, um, you know, there, there's cooking. Isn't that hard guys. And what is it with the laziness out there? Like with people, they don't want to cook. They just want to go eat out. Crackpot is the chisel man for cooking some good food. You know what else is good? If you get a, a rice pot with the second stage so that you can steam vegetables on top of the rice, man, that's good stuff too. You make some, um, make some good brown rice. I like to mix black brown rice with just whole black rice on the husk. Stuff's black. You can buy it at the supermarket pretty easy, easily. And, uh, and then on the second stage, it'll have a little stage. and It'll catch that steam coming out of the rice, and you can steam vegetables on there. Make a big pot on, um, on Sunday night, and you have enough rice for, uh, for the next couple of days and, and steam your vegetables right, right, right in there, too. It's awesome. So let me add what Rick said earlier about sauerkraut. Guys, make sure it's the raw sauerkraut. Not, and you're probably not going to find that in your regular supermarket. You're going to have to go to a health food store for that. It's going to be refrigerated. Very important that it's raw sauerkraut, not the sauerkraut that's next to the ketchup in the aisle at your, at your local supermarket because that's dead. That's dead sauerkraut. Um, another thing, too, if you are, you know, have leaky gut or Crohn's disease, guys, you do not want to mess around with, with sauerkraut. Um, that's not a good, a good idea for you that can really mess you up. So make sure, you know, you, you don't suffer from Crohn's or leaky gut before you mess with sauerkraut. All right, guys. Yeah. Um, kombucha is also a great, it's also a great product. I love kombucha. Got introduced to kombucha the last couple of years and it's been awesome. It's a good, it's like the perfect drink. I, I kind of always knew I wanted, but never knew existed. It's a bit bubbly. It's a little tiny bit sweet, but not much. It's got just a really nice, refreshing taste to it. Comes in a bunch of little different flavors. It has probiotics in it. I mean, it's really nice. And if you drink one bottle really, really fast, it's got like a little bit less than 1% alcohol. You feel a little buzz from it for a few minutes after you drink a, a nice bottle, but really, really fast. But it's, it's great. It's a great drink, kombucha, and it's good for your gut, man. It helps your gut health. Uh, it's a great, great stuff. Anybody out there, you go pick it up at your health at your store right now. doesn't even have to be a health food store. Any of the large stores, Walmart has it. Just go pick up kombucha. I like the ginger because it's got a little bit of spice, a little bit of kick to it. So I like the ginger cayenne pepper flavors. But kombucha is nice, and you can make your, your own at home. If you grab a bottle of just original natural kombucha without flavoring, and then you go through the process, you've got the seed there of the bacteria in the, in the bottle you get at the store so that you can start making your own unlimited amounts of kombucha at home, which is pretty easy to do too, by the way, guys. And another one more tip, guys, with a crock pot, uh, great idea for you, not only great for your gut health, but also great collagen is uh, bone, bone broth. And the way you would make that is get bones from the store or whatever, if you get like a T-bone steak or something, eat the steak and then just put the bones in the crock pot for about 48 hours and let it just simmer. And that will make bone broth. And that is one of the most healthiest non-plant-based things you could put in your body um, in terms of the uh, benefits to, to, your, to your health. And that's something that you should be doing. You should be aiming to be doing that at least twice a month. And it's, again, it's very easy to make, guys. 48 hours in the crock pot. 
Um, very, very easy. All right, guys. Uh, then the final one is a fun one, guys. Best places to meet women. So, um, you know, I know Rick has some ideas, but let me just give you an example where I met this, I met this girl the other day. I was actually um, on the ocean and I was, um, I was fishing and, you know, she comes, she was in the ocean just to look at, at the nature and stuff. And, uh, you know, we were, I was catching fish and she was just like, wow, you know, that looks awesome. Blah, blah. So I was like, Hey, you want to try fishing? She's like, sure. I'm like, have you ever fished before? She's like, not really. So I kind of started teaching her how to fish and, um, you know, I hooked the fish for her and I let her bring it in or whatever. And she lost the fish. She's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. But she had such a nice positive energy, you know, and, and she just was like, you know, asking me my name and stuff. And, she was into me, you know, but you know, I'm taken right now. So of course I didn't like ask her out, but that's a perfect example of you just doing something, doing a hobby and a woman being there and, you know, kind of just having a good time with her. And that's a great opportunity to, to meet a woman. That's a perfect example of just meeting a woman. And she was, she was a, a very cool chick. If I was single, I would have definitely asked her out to dinner. I could have been just like, Hey, you know, Hey, you lost my fish. Now you have to let me take you out for to dinner. And she would have probably been like, ah, ha, ha. all right, here, here's my number. So that's, that's a great example, guys of women are everywhere. Just do something you enjoy doing and you might run into a woman and, you know, just joke around with her and have a good time. And women love that. Women love just the guy who's himself and uh, confident. And like one of my other fishing buddies, after she left, he actually came to me and he's like, he's like, I thought you were with that girl. I thought you knew that girl. I'm like, dude, I literally just met her a minute ago. And he's like, wow, he's just blown away. He thought like I knew her because we were just, we, you know, we had such good chemistry and stuff, just, just having a good time together, you know? So that's a good way to meet women guys. Just doing what you love to do every day. How about you, Rick? What's an idea? Ideally you'd want to be in a situation where you don't have to kind of chase and try to find women. You could somehow, and it's not easy for most guys, but somehow arranges so that they kind of have to come to you. I mean, there's several ways to do that. I mean, look, one easy way is just you could become a photographer, just amateur photographer, and just do it on your on your part time, and you'll meet tons of women. Training, uh, sports. I mean, there's just a lot of different ways to to become the center and have women need to reach out to you for whatever reason. So that's good. If you can arrange that into your lifestyle, then you're good to go. If not, uh, acquaintances, people being introduced, I found is probably the most effective way to meet women is being introduced to women. Like if you have a girl that maybe uh, put you in the friend zone, right? It happens to guys. She puts you in the friend zone. So you go, all right, bitch, put me in the friend zone. Well, um, I'm going to go through your social, see what cute friends you put pictures up with. Then I'm going to ask you to take them out one day so I can meet them. You know, just that bold. So you... You have a girl that you know, and she friend zoned you, and uh, but she says you're great or whatever, whatnot. Then introduce me to some of your friends. Then so you're not since you're not interested. Same thing with your buddies. You know your buddies. Um, they might have a, a girlfriend or friends, and they have friends. Really being introduced. It's probably so. Those are probably the two best ways to meet women: is have them come to you for one reason or or another, uh, and then uh, you're you always have a steady uh, supply of, of new people to meet or get introduced and you can be very bold and say hey uh this girl in that picture from uh last christmas what's your name you still talk to her 
hey, we should go hang out with her one day. You know, if you're already in the friend zone, fuck it, right? Or if you just have acquaintances or, or friends or whatever. And then obviously, you know, the Don stuff, like walking up to a girl you've never met and, you know, Casanova type shit, just talk to her and get the number. I mean, I guess you can do that, but that's kind of weird and hit or miss because you never know who's doing what in their life. So that's really not something I, I tend to do, which is, you know, like cold drop on a girl and try to get her number on the spot. I try to get introduced or, or have them come to me for one reason or another, which tends to work. That's it. Yeah, that's hard to do just going up to someone. I'll tell you why. Um, a lot of women, they're very, very scared if you do that. They're like, because they don't know anything about you. We live in a social media world. We live in a world where you can meet someone online and look up, look them up on Facebook, look them up on Instagram, whatever social media and learn about them. You can learn, is this guy, you know, a fucking pedophile? Is this guy married? Is this guy, uh, has a criminal record for uh, uh, domestic violence, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's the world we live in guys. So a woman, you just going up to a random woman and talking to her for like a couple minutes and then just boom, like asks her out, you know, it's, it's going to be hard on her, you know, put yourself in her situation. Like just imagine if you had a sister and some random guy went up to her and asked her out, you know, um, wouldn't you be scared like to let your sister go on a date? But the interesting thing is like violent crimes and rapes and all that stuff is lower today than it was when we were younger, Rick and I. Rick and I actually grew up during the 80s and 90s. That was the serial killer peak, you know, worldwide. Now, you know, uh, it's hard to be a serial killer because they'll catch you after your first murder. Now they have cameras everywhere and DNA and all that shit. You know what I'm saying? So They ruined it for the aspiring serial killers. Yeah, there's cameras everywhere for sure. Yeah. So damn, you can't do that now. But like we grew up in that time. So women, you know, are, you know, I'm saying the parents today, they're helicopter parents. They, they raise you to, you know, be very, very scared. Don't talk to strangers, blah, blah, blah. Like you can't do that shit. Like if you, if you're playing basketball on the street with a kid, they're going to think you're a fucking predator. It's not like it was 30 years ago, you know, or remember Dennis the Menace, Dennis the Menace would go to his neighbor and hang out with uh you know with the neighbor and at his house and watch tv whatever you can't do that shit anymore back to the future marty went to hang out with doc nowadays if they made a movie like that the guy would be a fucking predator it'd be like a gay gay movie about some old guy fucking some teenager so i mean it's time to change so you don't want to you know put women on the spot like that so i think a really good place to meet girls is like yoga yoga is a perfect example because you're outnumbered in yoga it's 80 percent women and they're beautiful women they're women who keep themselves into shape. They have a really good lifestyle. And you know what's uh, the best way to meet women in yoga? If you're the instructor, <laughs> it goes along the lines of what I said, make them come to you. Yeah. If you're just a good yoga instructor in good shape, you'll see so many women throughout your day, half naked, most of them, that, I mean, you'll get it. It's, look, the best way to meet women, I, I think, my opinion is work on yourself, be good and successful yourself in something and have them come to you for whatever reason you know whatever it is yoga perfect example steve yeah but you can go there you can go there and take the classes you won't get it as good as if you're the actual instructor you know 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's true. Like, if you're the instructor, just be like, hey, you know, uh, come, you know, anyone has a question, come see me after class. And she's interested. She's going to come talk to you guys, you know, so. And you could, you could have a good career that you love, but you like yoga or you like, you know, whatever. And or you like photography and you just, you can, you can get a gig at a, at a yoga studio, just teach a couple, a couple nights a week. It gets you in the door. It gets you in there as part of the staff to hang out. If you, I mean, if you're really talking about meeting women, right? Um, same thing with photography. I mean, it, everybody wants photos. So it's, uh, you know, just, just do it. It's bottom line if that's what we're really talking about here, right? Meeting women. Try to find a way to, to make them come to you is, is the best way. And then you, could, then you can feel them out and see which one is, is interested, which one is not, blah, blah, blah. It's probably better than trying to meet random women at some places and trying to pick up numbers and all this stuff. If you can't manage any of that, get introduced. That's the best other way. Yeah, then I think, guys, I, really, if, you, if you're really serious and you're about dating and stuff, every, every option is an option. I'm mean, at the end of the day, you know, online dating. Um, I don't have a history with that very much. Um, you know, that's something that I, that may have tried, you know, a few years ago, a couple of times, but a lot of you younger guys, that's a way of life. Now everyone is online. Everyone's doing the apps and, and stuff, but don't overdo it on that. Don't like have six different dating apps and talk to 50 women a day. That's, you're not really serious, but like, you know, kind of put yourself out there. Every option guys on the table, whether it be meeting a girl, at the gym, meeting a girl, at yoga, online dating, whatever, meeting a girl through work, meeting a girl through friends. If you keep all your options open and you're not like ridiculously like picky about what you're looking for, you will meet plenty of women. Um, you know, my, my last advice guys is, you know, like, don't, you know, don't just like say, you know, I'm only going to date this, this race or this ethnicity or this religion or this height or this hair color or this eye color. When you do that, you're eliminating women. Like if the girl is perfect for you and you have great chemistry physically and emotionally, it does not matter. Any of that shit does not matter. It's, it's silly to even, you know, act like that. Like you're eliminating people um, unnecessarily and uh, we see that all the time. I have examples. Women are, are notorious for doing that. They complain they can't get a guy. And then you're like, oh, what are you looking for? But like, he has to be this height. He has to have this, this color hair. He has to be this skin tone. He has to have this religion. You know, he has to have this, this, this or that. He has to drive this car. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, so don't be so damn picky because that's only going to handcuff your um, endeavors out there. But you know, guys, I'm, I'm all for like any option on the table. Um, don't just be like, I, I refuse to do it this way because uh, you're only just eliminating your chances. You know what? I don't, I don't know, buddy. Maybe you're friends, but I don't know too many guys that are that selective. I think most, uh, at least dudes I talk to, they only have one type and that is non-ugly. And even then that could be a compromise. <laughs> so... I don't know, maybe, maybe people you know, but as far as I know, man, as long as she's beautiful, no matter what color or shape she is, you know, we're gonna, you're gonna pay attention and, and try to pick up. But yeah, I, mean, I think just non-busted is probably the, the criteria, right? Or do you have a lot, of, a lot of friends that are like, oh man, she's, uh, she's gorgeous, but she's, not, I don't, she's a little too tall for me. 
Dude, I've heard every fucking story. I heard a guy actually on this podcast we interviewed was a bodybuilder a couple of years back. And I was talking to him. He's a younger guy. And I'm like, oh, dude, you live, you know, you live in this place. There's so many Italian women. He's like, oh, I don't like women with curly hair. I'm like, okay, you don't like women with curly hair. So she's a beautiful woman, but she has curly hair. You're not going (laughs) to, you don't be interested. It's like, dude, like, come on, dude. Maybe with curly hair broke his heart and it reminds him of her. I don't know, dude. I just... I can't really see any straight guy, single, has a chance with a girl and she just happens to have, I don't know, bro. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> it's all good. All right, guys, look, we appreciate you guys listening to the show. Submit your questions. We will read them on the podcast. Steve Smee, and as for Rick, hit me up on the forum, Steve SMI. I'll talk, we will talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Have a good one, buddy. Have a good one, Steve. Have a good one, guys. Guys, this is the required legal disclaimer. We are only sharing our experience from years of steroid use. We are not doctors, and none of what we say should be regarded as medical advice. Always check with your doctor before taking any drugs or starting any training program. Evolutionary Network podcast coming away. This is number three. 26 albuterol steve smee here and rick in the house hey what's up steve what's up guys how's everybody doing out there all right guys again we're doing 326 and last episode was 324 we did clenbuterol this time we're gonna do its cousin its weaker cousin albuterol and rick and i were talking about this pre-show um, it's very interesting. Um, it's very similar to clenbuterol, but it, there are some really, really cool things about albuterol that se- separates it from clenbuterol. So we're going to talk about that. So what is albuterol? Albuterol sulfate is a short-acting B2 adrenergic receptor agonist, and it's been used for in medical as a relief of branco, bronchospasm in people with asthma, COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. A lot of old people, you might have a grandma, grandpa who has that. People who've been smoking for years. People who work around, you know, uh, dirty conditions like coal or, um, you know, factories and stuff like that. They'll develop this. It's on the WHO World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. That's really cool. This means that it's considered to be one of the most important medicines that are needed in basic, in the basic health system. So if you go, you know, to a third world country, you know, in really poor country and you end up going to a clinic, there's a good chance that they will have albuterol on the shelf over there because it's, it's on that list, something that needs to be there. That'll be help people breathe. So we use it in bodybuilding for another use. Uh, We use it as an off-label use to help us burn fat and to increase performance. So, you know, that's kind of the background on it. We're going to talk about how it may be an option for you. If you insist on using Clen, maybe Clenbuterol might be better. We'll kind of debate that on this podcast. But first, I'm going to bring in Rick. Rick's going to go over the brief history of albuterol and tell us a little bit about what he knows about a history. He's really, really good with that. So enlighten us, Rick, on what you know. 
salbutrol was discovered around the 1960s. It was discovered in 1966, and it was uh, launched uh, as a drug. It's called Bentolin in 1969. 1972 Munich Olympics were the first time where anti-doping measures were really put in action. And so drugs like albuterol, clambuterol and such were, were not allowed in the games at that point. There was a short span of time in the late 80s and early 90s where some athletes were allowed to use albuterol, but then it was quickly abused. Uh, a lot of good people were just using it. A lot of them had scripts and such from their from doctors in their countries but maybe they didn't quite need it so again uh it was banned from olympic use albuterol has been available as a medication uh in the u.s for human consumption something that clenbuterol was uh not approved and one of the reasons might be because albuterol is in and out of your system a lot quicker than clenbuterol while clenbuterol will will linger in your system for a lot longer and obviously when it comes to the FDA approving a drug, much better chance if there are two drugs competing for the same use, much better chance of the drug that's in and out of your system and, and shows less side effects to be approved than the other one to not. So that's kind of just a history on, uh, on albuterol there, uh, kind of short history. So some of the other medical uses besides what I talked about, I mean, allergies, exercise-induced breathing difficulty. So um, if you remember back in elementary school during PE, you know, some kids would run around and they would be, you know, huffing and puffing. Well, the FDA actually approved it originally, Rick, in 1982 in the United States. Um, so obviously it got updated with the approval. But if you can remember back in those days, you know, it was possible that some of those kids, you know, you grew up with who had those little inhalers, you know, uh, they were taking albuterol and that would be much better, actually much safer than taking a corticosteroid that you would inhale. My kid, my son, my oldest one uh, had, a, I mean, he, he, took, he had a lot of albuterol put through his nebulizer. He had a lot of uh, respiratory issues between ages about two, three until about six had a lot of uh, respiratory issues and was, we had an nebulizer at home and prescription for albuterol and, you know, just uh, every other month or so he'd get really bad. So we, I always had a steady supply of albuterol at the house. It just, like I said, with clan, just never that, that appealing, never really liked it much. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I used it, tried it out, uh, but it's just never, uh, never a thing for me, I guess. Yeah, so you can imagine in weight training and cardio and stuff how it could have some benefits if you can breathe easier, how it can kind of help you with that. So, I mean, delaying premature labor, cystic fibrosis, potassium and blood, those are other uh, medical uses. But let's, let's talk about, you know, how it works. Um, so, like I said, the good news is it's not a corticosteroid. I'm, I'm completely against ever putting a corticosteroid in your body unless it's absolutely necessary. Too many people abuse that. So, you know, as athletes, as weightlifters, you should never, ever use a corticosteroid unless it's really necessary. So albuterol is a much better option. And, and the reason that it works so well is it stimulates the better beta receptors, which causes the, the vasodilation, the increased blood flow, the pumps, 
It reduced store fat by stimulating the breakdown of fatty acids in the bloodstream for use as fuel. So that's how the fat loss benefits come with albuterol. So, but the problem with albuterol though, when we use it for bodybuilding purposes, for bodybuilding at bodybuilding dosages, Rick, is that that boost in blood flow ends up straining the heart. So you can expect, you know, is it going to help you breathe better when you're doing cardio? Yes. But on the flip side, it's going to hurt your cardio because it's going to cause your heart rate to speed up faster. It'd be like revving up your engine in your car and just revving up the RPMs. You burn out the engine when you do that. Or it'd be like drinking coffee before a workout. You're revving up the engine. That's not something you want to do before a workout. You don't want to go work out with your heart rate already sped up. You want to be able to rev your engine up with acceleration, not rev your engine up already before you even walk into the gym. So that kind of, that kind of offsets any of the bodybuilding benefits. But at the end of the day, why do guys use it? It increases body temperature, it increases basal metabolic rate, and it decreases your appetite. So again, consider it a stimulant. It's going to help you reduce your appetite, help you burn a little bit of fat. And that's, that's why bodybuilders will use it. And most of you guys listening to this out there, you don't really need albuterol or clenbuterol. You just need to have, you just need to have better habits when it comes to your eating more consistency and you'll be fine. You'll make it there. And I'm not talking to you if you have a, a show coming up or you have to be, you have to look a certain way by a certain date. No, if you're just regular dad bot trying to shed some of that weight, stay the fuck away from it. It will do thanks to your body that that could be that could have long term effects, and the fat loss is short lived. The fat loss on it is short lived. As a matter of fact, I think that if you use clenbuterol, albuterol as a crutch to lose fat, you have a you have a higher chance of gaining all of that weight back and more, because you're just using the, these stimulants to to sort of mask some really core lifestyle habits. You know, when it comes to steroids, there is, you, there's, certain, there's a certain amount of musculature that you're not going to be able to put on or hold on to unless you're adding androgens to your body. You know, you could work out as much as you want for as long as you want. Take all the natural stuff. You will have a genetic point that you can't get past. Then steroids bring you way further along the way, obviously. When it comes to clenbuterol, you can lose that body fat natural without taking anything. No stimulants, no steroids. You you can do that. So I'm I'm not so I'm not a so I'm not as much for guys using stimulants and things that affect their central nervous system, their heart, for just some short term fat loss that can be achieved without anything. When it comes to when it comes to steroids, I mean, I get it. I understand it. You're, you're just not going to put on that extra muscle. You've been training five, eight years, natural supplements, everything. You're just not going to gain that extra muscle unless you juice. So I don't, um, so as we go on with the podcast today, it's just unjustifiable to be doing albuterol. And again, if you, if you have a show coming up and you got a coach, you guys have different ideas. I mean, that's fine, but just regular folks out there listening Guy trying to lose some body fat, trying to 
trying to get back to your uh, sh- college shape, just good diet, good healthy living will get you there eventually. You don't, you don't really need to slam on albuterol or, or clambuterol. Steve and I both have tried it and we don't recommend it, do we? So I ran albuterol before. Um, running it on low dose, it does have low, much less side effects than clan. But once I ramped up the dose, I was starting to get the same side effects that I got from the clan. Uh, the heartburn, the gut issues, the heat, the heat, you know, uh, feeling hot all the time. That's really annoying, especially when you live in a hot climate. And how are you supposed to do cardio? And how are you supposed to weight train when you feel hot? And I see people do that. They stem themselves up. They go work out at the gym. And they're sweating. And I'm sure they feel good afterwards. I mean, they sweat a lot. But are you really having an efficient workout when it comes to weight training by sweating your balls off during your workout? By overheating your body? No, no. It's, it's actually not, it's not strengthening your heart. It's actually weakening your heart in this particular situation. It's not like doing like hot yoga where you go do hot yoga in a hot room and you sweat like crazy and your heart rate goes up. You actually strengthen your heart doing it that way. So it's not, it's not going to be a good idea, guys. Um, but some guys really do like albuterol. You don't see it used too much. Not a lot of sources actually carry albuterol anymore. They carry clenbuterol, so. But let's say you do want to use it. Um, one of the one of the things to keep in mind, if you are a tested athlete, that um, you can use it. it. It is even though it's on the WAD prohibited list, you would have to get a therapeutic use exemption to be able to use it. So you'd have to use it at a very low dose for therapeutic reasons. They will allow that. Um, another thing, the detection time. Um, is very short compared to Combuterol. The half-life is only six hours. So um, if you use Albuterol, some guys like to split it. So, um, you know, the dosages, basically the way that as athletes, we will use it for bodybuilding, um, you know, four milligrams, three times a day. So 12 milligrams total. That's a moderate dosage for fat loss. And then women would take, you know, about a third of that. So, and you want to make sure you're drinking a lot of water while you're on it. You want to make sure you're also taking taurine, just like clenbuterol. You need your electrolytes. Otherwise, it's going to give you some really, really bad cramps, um, when, especially if you're working out when you use it. Or you might be sitting at your desk and then get up and like, oh my gosh, my back just got tight. Well, you really need to use taurine when you're on it as well. So that's re- going to really help. Um, so, um, I think I ran it for two weeks on, two weeks off. And then, you know, that's really what people like to run it. It's just same as clenbuterol. But Rick, what do you think about the how to run it when it comes to a cycle? When it comes to clenbuterol or albuterol, the way that I've always understood it and when I've, I've tried it and when I helped other people with it, is you really only use it for about a couple of weeks. Back in the day, about well over 15 years ago, what we used to do is you'd run clan or albuterol a couple of weeks. You get off of it. Then you get on either an ephedra or your hemby and caffeine ephedra stack. And you run that for a couple of weeks. Then jump back on your clan or albuterol for a couple of weeks. It really does seem that 
the good fat burning effects of these drugs are really concentrated to the first couple of weeks. And once you, once you, once you kind of maxed out and they start to just kind of give you diminishing returns, you, you hop off of those, get on a different fat loss drug that'll help curb appetite, give you energy, even on a caloric deficit. And it'll, it'll work on a different pathway than, than clambutyl directly. And then once you've, once you've been on that one for a couple of weeks, jump off of it and cleanse, and you just kind of rinse and repeat. Or if you don't have a ton of weight to lose and it fits your lifestyle, you can just do two weeks on, two weeks off of everything. Two weeks on, two weeks off. I found, and, and I think on the last podcast, uh, your opinion was that someone would need to do clenbuterol for, for several weeks to get good results. I've heard this before. From what I've seen personally, and maybe the way that I like to cycle, those first two weeks are really bam, bam. You know, you really, you, you can see a difference in the mirror almost on a daily basis, providing your diet and your training is on point. But after the first two weeks, it just doesn't, 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 it just, it seems like you just don't, it doesn't work as well. And I'm not the only one that says there's other guys have to. So I've seen the kind of two schools of thought on it. I personally like two weeks on, two weeks off or two weeks on and then switch on to something. When I did used to do stimulants, you know, when I was a young man and maybe understood health less and understood the side effects less. And, and when you're a young man, you think you're always going to have this health is never going to escape you. But now it's I'm about to turn 40 here. Uh, now I think about it. I'm like, fuck, damn, I ran a lot of stimulants through my body in my twenties and, you know, even in late teens a little bit too, you know, man, it's, you know, it's probably not, I should not have done that. I was just a boy, <laughs> you know? So, um, so yeah, I mean, something to think about everybody out there just, uh, and again, clambutyl, albuterol, really long-term kept me away from it. It can enlarge in your heart, it can make your heart larger. Steroids can already kind of do that, but oh man, it's just clenbuterol, albuterol, they're just scarier to, to, to me in that regard. Well, you bring up a good point, Rick. The heart can only beat so many times. So if you're stimming yourself up with tons of coffee, tons of stimulants, tons of clenbuterol, tons of albuterol, all this for years and years, your heart rate's going to stay elevated 24-7 or at least for most of the day while, the, while it's peaking in your system. So your heart's going to beat faster. Now, when we work out, our heart does beat faster when we work out. You know, I and, think I think um, you know healthy living, uh, nutrition, good mental health because anxiety will fucking wreck your heart. Oh, oh, the good, you know, all these good things keep your heart muscles very elastic, keeps them pumping, keeps them clear. When you start to, you know, get into heavy stimulants, into some, you know, some stimulant narcotics, into into being, you know, a fucking maniac and just being enraged and mad letting the steroids build you up into anger or just getting too anxious and, and having those weird inside of the, outside of the chest cavity anxiety that all that just kind of takes away elasticity from your heart muscles, from, from your bowels, from everything. And that's when you really limit that. You really limit the amount of heart, the heartbeats you have in you is when your heart starts to lose that elasticity. But as long as you, you keep that, that, that heart nice and, 
and, and pumping, very, very elastic. You just healthy living, good mental state, stay the fuck away from, from most of these stimulants. I indulge in coffee. It's a trade-off I have to make, but for the most part, just that, that, that elasticity, losing the elasticity in your heart is long-term is, is something that's going to bring you a lot of, uh, a lot of heartache. <laughs> so, yeah. So you want to build a, a strong heart guys. You want to have your resting heart rate low. I mean, as athletes, it should be under 65, under 70. I mean, if it's over 80, some, you know, you don't have a good heart. So check into that. Yes. When we exercise, your heart rate goes up, but that's a brief thing. You strengthen your heart. And then after your exercise, it comes back down to earth. So, um, you know, let's go over the side effects with albuterol before we finish this up. Tremors, anxiety, muscle cramps, headache, heart palpitation, flushing, sleep problems, behavioral problems, allergic reactions, and crimping pumps or spasms. Those are the, those are the those are the main side effects of albuterol. So those are what you want to look for when in terms of the bodybuilding side effects when we use it for um, bodybuilding purposes at the dosages we use it for. So those really, those are common side effects. I mean, those are things that you will probably end up getting half of that stuff. So again, guys, albuterol, it's, the, it's kind of the, the baby cousin of clenbuterol. Um, it's got less side effects, but in my experience, the more I ramped up the dosage, the more it seemed like I was running clenbuterol, even though it's not as powerful as, as albuterol for sure. Um, so yeah, so I, I really recommend if you do use it, use Entugard for, on it. Entugard has taurine. Entugard has a lot of um, vitamins and minerals that will help you. Finish up the show, Rick. What would you want to Albuterol, Albuterol is more like Clenbuterol's uh, less ugly little sister. <laughs> it's just, it's a little bit less ugly, but still don't want to wake up next to it. It's just not, it's not all that great. And again, specifically you need to be a certain body fat percentage by a certain date. I can, I can understand some of those guys, but just to, just to shed a little bit of body fat. Come on, man. What are you doing? Something that could have long lasting effects on your heart just for some short term fat loss. Not worth it. Not worth it. Lifestyle guys, lifestyle, make sure diet is on point. Make sure that you never let yourself get too far out of shape. Because that's what happens. That's when guys go crazy on taking stimulants and, and clenbuterol and albuterol is when you've let yourself get too far out of shape and you need to do something now. You need to get like cut up now. Well, how about you don't let yourself get too far out of shape? How about you spend a little bit of time in front of the mirror every day? And once you see things starting to get out of hand, you, you curb. And you change course and you get back on, on the right track. And then you're not desperate looking for, for stimulants and things that can hurt you to, to lose body fat very quickly. It took you weeks and months to put that body fat on. Give yourself the time to take it off. So that's just kind of the last message on it, guys. I, you know, we, we provide the information, uh, but we also need to give you guys our, our opinion on it. And, it's just not worth it, dude. The, the, the juice is not worth the squeeze on, on albuterol, clenbuterol. Athletes, uh, just I want to address athletes because it was big with Olympic athletes. And I've said this before on the podcast because athletes will test positive for steroids and for this or that. Look, when you're 
Olympic level athlete to where you've honed your skill and your technique to where your muscles are, are just doing the most efficient way that sport, that exercise needs it to be. And you're just there. If you got a little bit, just not even a lot, just a little bit of albuterol, some, a good stimulant like that, just a tiny bit of extra testosterone, DECA, anything, it could just, it could just bring, give you that edge. Shave those extra hundreds of a second. That could be the difference between that gold medal or being in just somebody in, you know, in the fourth place in the picture. You know, once you're at that level, just a little dab will do you. So, of course, Olympic athletes, you know, all the time in trouble for clenbuterol, albuterol. Yeah, because these guys, just a tiny bit could bring them from, from fourth to first place. That's how, how close uh, some of these sports are when you get up to Olympic, you know, high Olympic level, Olympic competition. So, you know, this is why it's easy use. But you and I, we can just, we can just die down fast and lose the body fat the right way and not fuck our hearts up in the process. If anything, maybe gain some heart health with good cardio. See, you shouldn't be doing fucking cardio on, on stimulants like clan and albuterol. I have, and I, and, and I know a lot of people that have, it just, just don't do it. It's just not a good practice. Do your cardio, if you, a little, little bit of caffeine, a little warna maybe, if you need a little pick-me-up, even a little taurine, something like that. Not a fucking butyrol, right? So that's just my uh, my closing the show on it. Uh, just we already did Clem albuterol, and we needed this we needed this, this close up on on these two stimulants. Anything else, Steve? Yeah, you bring up a good point. I don't know why people insist on torturing themselves when they when they do cardio. They want to be like like oh, I'm gonna burn fat when I do cardio. You know, you don't burn fat when you do cardio, guys. You can gain fat during cardio. Well, when your body goes into fat burning mode or fat storing mode, it doesn't have anything to do with how much exercise. You can go four hours and exercise all day. But if you're eating shit before and after your workout, you're still going to gain fat. We see this all the time in the gym. How many fat people do you see every day in the gym? Every day, they're on the cardio machine. You and know, they, don't, they don't lose when fat. When you, get on that cardio, when you get on that cardio machine, me personally, and, and just you're out there listening to this, I'm good getting on the cardio machine, even though I hate cardio machines, but I'll do them depending winter or whatever. Get on the cardio machine in the morning, fasted state where I'm like, I can feel that energy lacking a little bit and I've got to kind of pull it out of me to get that energy up. Like I can put up with that and I feel like that's burning fat. I never liked, never really enjoyed it. And it wasn't until I really completely cut it out that I realized how much I disliked doing cardio when my heart's fucking raising from stimulants already. Yeah. Big mistake. Big yeah, when mistake. I, was, I used to take the ECA stack, you know, it was, yeah. it was, it was ephedrine, caffeine, your Hemby, and sometimes throw aspirin or your Hemby, you ECA, ECY, and then go, you know, go run and do, oh man. Yeah. So I hated, hated that feeling. I used to just do it because the result, I mean, the results looked completely unhealthy, but I could just see the fat coming off. Look now, you can you can get really good fast results. It hurts a little bit, but it hurts different. Fasting, AM cardio, it hurts, but it hurts different. It hurts different than taking these fucking stimulants 
and then trying to trying to get some cardio out and, and you don't know if you're having a fucking panic attack or, or if you're really getting a good cardio session and it's just terrible. For Steve Smee and Rick, this has been another episode of Evolutionary Radio. We appreciate you guys listening. We'll have another episode up very soon. Have a good one. Have a good one, Steve. Have a good one, guys. Guys, this is the Require Legal Disclaimer. We are only sharing our experience from years of steroid use. We are not doctors, and none of what we say should be regarded as medical advice. Always check with your doctor before taking any drugs or starting any training program.